Good morning. Here at the Bible Chapel, we want to help you get connected. We want to help you make sure you are involved in community. One of our five essentials is we believe that a Christian should never live the Christian life alone. Scripture uh, is clear on that. So there are several ways to get connected, and if you'll take out your bulletin, I want to show you these three things. If you're not connected, here are three things you can do. One, we have a Connect class that's going on right now. Uh, you can be a part of that class, and that class tells you our history, our vision, our mission, where we're headed. It's a great class to be a part of. That's one thing you can do. The second thing you can do, or another thing you can do, is get uh, involved in the Living Grounded class. It's a 12-session discipleship curriculum. It allows you to embrace the foundational truths of the Christian faith, and we encourage you to be a part of that. Or you may say, I would rather get involved in service. I'd rather kind of see how this thing works from the inside. You're welcome to do that. We have some specific things that you can volunteer for uh, if you're just getting started. Obviously, if you're going to teach our children or if you're going to be involved in some significant ministries like that, you have to be a member of our church. But for those who are just getting started, there are a lot of opportunities. And Vacation Bible School is uh, one area that you can be involved in. So we encourage you to get connected some way here at the church. Get involved in community. Uh, you don't have to know everyone here, but you need to know someone, and someone needs to know you. Let's pray before we open God's Word. Father, we thank you for coming today. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to meet at the different campuses through video. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to open your Word. We have nothing to say unless it comes from your Word. And we thank you that you love us so much that you not only sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us on the cross, you also gave us your word, your love letter to us, so we could know who you are, know how to live for you, know how to have this, this abundant life that you promise us, and know, Lord, that after this life, we can spend eternity with you. Be with us today as we, as we study and as we think and as we reflect on your inerrant word. Lord, we've come and we've sung and we've interacted together and now at all our campuses together we want to pray in one voice as Jesus, our Savior, taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Proverbs. We are working our way through this Old Testament book. Open your book, open your Bibles to the middle of your Bibles, and you're in the book of Psalms, and you turn one book over, and we are in the book of Proverbs. The author of the Proverbs primarily is Solomon. He was the third king of Israel. He reigned from 971 B.C. to 931 B.C. And during Solomon's reign, there was peace and prosperity. There was economic success in the land of Israel. In fact, 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 15, just think about this, says that while Solomon was reigning... Gold and silver was as common as stones 
in Israel. Think about that. Across the world, people came to check out the nation of Israel. People came to see the magnificent buildings. People came to see the economic success. And one of the things people, and even kings, came to see and hear was this man named Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. He uh, was given that wisdom by God when he first took over as king. Now, there were other wise men in uh, the, the world at that time, in antiquity. There were a lot of wise men, and we see the Babylonians had their wise men, and the Egyptians had their wise men, and, and the people from Mesopotamia, that land between the rivers of the Tigris and the Euphrates, they had their wise men. There were wise men, but Simon, but Simon, but Solomon, not Simon, Solomon was the wisest. And his wisdom that he gave out, his wisdom that he dispensed, here was the difference between Solomon and all the other wise men. Solomon's wisdom was theistic. It was focused on God. We're going to see that today. If you're looking at your notes and you're following your notes, it's the first thing on there. The Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is theistic. The wisdom of everyone else, the Babylonians, a guy named Amon in Tep and Amon in Hopi, those guys are well known in history. But their wisdom was humanistic. It was focused on man. We introduced the Proverbs uh, last uh, time we were together, and, and today what I want to do is focus on one passage in the first chapter. It's in verse 7. This is the theme of the book. This is what separates this book of wisdom from every other book of antiquity. And again, there were others. Here it is, chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. In case we miss that, Solomon's going to repeat it again in chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. It's the fear of the Lord where wisdom begins. Now, let's make sure we understand what wisdom is. We introduced this uh, definition last time. Wisdom Throughout the, throughout the Proverbs, we're going to see a, a, a lot about wisdom. When it, wisdom is going to be personified as a woman who dispenses these things to us, wisdom to us. But when we read the word wisdom, the word hokmah in the Hebrew, it means this. Embracing God's word and learning the skills of living out biblical truth in everyday life. Embracing God's word and learning the skills of living out biblical truth in everyday life. That word wisdom first was referred to, referred to men who had great skills in garment making. They made the, 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 the garments of the high priest. And then men who had great skill in building. They were the ones who were, who were commissioned in to build the temple. And then this word becomes a word in the Hebrew language that means not just skills, the ability to do something, but it means moral skills, the skills to live a life 
that pleases God. Now, we see in these verses that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it starts. That word beginning is a significant word, obviously, in this verse. It means principal part. It means the first step in the course of action. It means the chief thing. It means a capstone. A capstone. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we led a, a trip to Israel. We had a great time in Israel, and our daughter was studying abroad, and she was in Italy. And so Lori and I, after our trip to Israel, we just hit over to Italy real quick to visit our daughter. And one of the things we did, we visited uh, the Colosseum in Rome. Colosseum's built around, I think, 80 AD, something like that. And as you look at the Colosseum, you go in, there was no concrete, there was no cement. These builders, again, were skilled with the ability to build without any concrete or cement. And when they built an arch, you think, well, that's easy. You just lay big stones on top of big stones, right? But how do you build an arch? And so when they build an arch, they would put up these structures all the way here, like scaffolding, and then the, the, the builder would chisel out, perfectly chisel out, again, no concrete, this capstone right here. Here's another picture that shows one underneath the catacombs. This is the only thing. This capstone right here is the only thing all these years that holds that together. Again, scaffolding here, and then the builder said, we've got to have a stone that fits perfect in there. And they would, they would cram that stone in there, and for all these years, without any concrete, without any adhesive material, this capstone has held it together. That's what this word is here, beginning, capstone. The fear of the Lord is that chief stone. It's that, it's that most important stone. It's the thing that holds wisdom together. The fear of the Lord. That holds our life together when we embrace God's word and we learn the skills of living out biblical truth in everyday life. This life has to start with the fear of the Lord. As we said last time, the book of Proverbs was written for parents. The book of Proverbs was written by Solomon to parents. This king understood if the nation of Israel was going to continue, if it was going to be strong, the wisdom, godly wisdom, fear of the Lord, beginning with wisdom, had to be passed on to children. It had to be taught. First, it had to be <clears throat> understood, right? You can't teach something you don't understand. It had to be understood. It had to be ingrained in one's life. And then it had to be taught to children by words and by actions. It had to be taught to children by parents. It had to be taught to children by grandparents. It had to be taught to children by teachers. It had to be taught to children by mentors. That's the reason Solomon wrote this book. This wisdom has to be passed on. This is not wisdom to be hoarded. This is wisdom to be grasped with our minds, with our hearts, with our hands, 
and passed on to our kids. And Solomon says the first thing we have to do, the very first thing we have to do is to teach our children the fear of the Lord because it's the fear of the Lord that is the capstone of wisdom. Now, the question is, what does fear of the Lord mean? If you're a student of the Bible and you're reading the Bible, you will read the word fear connected with God over 300 times as you read Scripture. So we need to know what the fear of the Lord means. Solomon is going to use fear of the Lord 11 times. He's going to use fear of the Lord five times in his writing. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? Those are two things we want to do today. What does it mean to fear the Lord? And who is this God we are to fear? This is what we need to know so that we can live it out, so that we can, what? Teach it to our children. So let's begin by, by working to understand what the fear of the Lord means. When Martin Luther, in the 1500s, was dealing with this topic, when he was thinking about leaving Catholicism and, 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 and wondering uh, what all this thing about grace meant, he started dealing with the fear of the Lord. And Martin Luther famously used two words to describe the fear of the Lord. He used two Latin words. I'll write them up here and we'll talk about them. He used the word servile and he used the word filial. Martin Luther said there are two types of fear. One is servile. Servile is the type of fear that you have when you are in submission to somebody else. When you're a prisoner and you're in prison and your, uh, your jailer or your torturer or your executioner, you hear his feet walking down the, the hallway to your cell. A dread comes over you. A, uh, uh, a fear comes over you of a dangerous situation. Now, Maybe, probably, most of us have not had that type of fear as we've waited in a room to be executed. But we all understand what that dread come, uh, comes on our heart. The dread, we, we, that, the, the, just the, the physiological changes that take place in our body when we have that fear that comes on us of an unknown situation, of someone that's over us, a person or, or, or a situation, a weather situation, uh, something, something of a natural catastrophe that comes on us and we are totally submitted to it. That's called servile fear. But Luther said that's not what the Bible means when we talk about fear of the Lord. So Luther used this other term, filial, which in Latin means, in English means, family fear. And Luther used this to describe the, 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 the fear that a loving child has for a loving father, a parent. The child has a deep love and respect for his or her parents. The child wants to please the parents, right? They're not worried about punishment, but they're more worried. Their fear comes in displeasing the one they love. Their fear comes in displeasing 
the very ones giving them security and giving them protection. And that's the fear of the Lord. It's, it's a filial fear. It's a family fear. It is an awe and respect for our Heavenly Father. So when we fear the Lord, when you see in Scripture, fear the Lord, we're saying this, an awe and, and, and respect and, and a reverence and a love for our Heavenly Father who loves us so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us on a cross. And we don't want to displease Him. We want to live a life that pleases Him. We don't live in cowering fear of Him. We live in a, an awe and respect of pleasing the one who is our source of protection, of pleasing the one who, who is, who is our, our, our source of life. So we would define it like this. The fear of the Lord is the awe and reverence for my loving Father demonstrated by a life of wisdom. It's just not saying, boy, I love you, God. I fear you, God. It's demonstrating it in all that we do. Demonstrating in a life of wisdom. And remember how we define wisdom. Embracing God's word and living it out. Learning the skills to live it out in everyday life. Now, when you read Proverbs 1.7, you see that it's the fear of the Lord. Anytime, all caps, Anytime you are reading Scripture and you see LORD in all caps, that is a translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh. And when you read LORD in all caps, this translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh, just think in your mind, personal relationship. The word LORD, all caps, translation of Yahweh, is used to describe the covenant-keeping God, the covenantal God, the God who has made a covenant with his people. You're my people, I am your God. I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. So when you read, Lord in all caps, translation of Yahweh, it is this personal relationship that we have with God. And so, the writer of the Proverbs, Solomon says, the fear of Yahweh this covenant-keeping God, my heavenly Father, the one who never leaves me, the one who ever, never forsakes me, the one who always has my best interest at heart, the fear of Yahweh, that's the beginning of wisdom. Now, Solomon doesn't stop there. He says this. I got to answer a question. Who is this God we're to fear? What's he look like? What's he act like? How, what, what, what does he give me in my life? How do I respond to him? And so in the book of Proverbs, and we find this throughout Scripture, but in the book of Proverbs, Solomon explains to us who God is. We could come out, out of here with a, a lot of descriptions of God, but let me give you six with the time we have today. Here's the first one. Solomon says we are to live in the fear of God because he is the creator of all things. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 2. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the what? The maker of them all. The Lord is the maker of them all. 
When Solomon says that, he's taking us back to Genesis chapter 2, verse, 20, verse 7. In Genesis chapter 1, we read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the word for God there is Elohim. Elohim is the all-powerful God who can speak the, the world into existence. But when we get to chapter 2, and uh, the, the writer is telling us how God created man, we add another name for God here, the writer does, then the Lord God, Yahweh, Elohim, formed the man from the dust of the ground. And it was Yahweh who breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So when you think of Yahweh, think of the creator who got on his knees and bowed down and stooped down to breathe into man the breath of life. That's Yahweh. He's our maker. He's our creator. We, we live in awe and reverence of God because it all starts with him. In him we live and we breathe and, and, we, and we, we breathe and we have our being. Without him we never were. Without him we cease to be. It's, it's the understanding of God that we begin with this fear of God. He is our creator. He's the one who made us, not we ourselves. And when we teach it to our kids, not only do they need to grasp that essential truth, but that impacts the way they think of other people, right? Because Solomon says, the rich and poor together, meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. And then Solomon adds in chapter 14, verse 31, the first part, whoever oppresses the poor man insults, not the poor man, insults his maker. Proverbs 17, 5, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. You see, when we live in awe and fear of God, it's not just horizontal. I, I, I love God. I fear God. It, sorry, it's not just vertical. I'll get these right. It's not just vertical, right? It's horizontal as well. It impacts the way we deal with other people. By the way, what comes to your mind when you think of someone poor? Whatever came to your mind tells you a lot about your awe and fear and reverence for God. If you insult the poor, you insult the maker. If you oppress the poor, you insult the maker. Number two, Solomon says we're going to live in fear of God. We have to understand, we have to grasp that he is in control of all things. God is in control of all things. you really believe that? Not, not just right here. Do you really believe that? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but in its every decision is from the Lord. You can cast the lots, but God is the one in control. Every decision is from the Lord. I love this verse. Jot it down, mark it in your Bible. Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. When you read the breaking news 
in the paper about some king, about some ruler, about some despot, about some dictator, just know this. That person is not sovereign. God is. And the heart of the king, the heart of the ruler, the heart of the powerful are in the hand of the eternal sovereign God. And he turns it like a channel of water however he wants. If you're a student of the Old Testament, you know that there were sometimes Israel looked at God and said, God, what are you doing? Why are you letting the Babylonians rule? Why are you letting the Assyrians gain so much power? And God said, I'm still in control, but I'm using them for my sovereign purposes. When you read the paper, don't panic. Know that God is in control. Proverbs 21, 30, 30 and 31. No wisdom, Solomon says, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the battle, but victory belongs to Yahweh. Number three, we live in awe and reverence of God because he hates evil and injustice. He doesn't just hate it out there in the world. He does that. It's easy to talk about injustice and, and, and evil out in the world, isn't it? But he, hate it. he hates it right here in our hearts. Solomon is not writing this book so that we just apply it to everyone else. Solomon's writing this book so we apply it to ourselves. This is a book you read looking in the mirror. In chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, the writer says this, There are six things the Lord hates. I forgot one. Seven things, really, that are abomination to him. Haughty eyes. That's pride. Throughout the book of Proverbs, we're going to talk about this. We'll spend one whole time on this pride. God hates pride. A person who sets himself or herself up above everything else and everyone else. A person who always has to have their way. A person thinks that the world revolves around them. God says, I hate that. I hate a lying tongue. God is a God of truth. God is a God of honesty. God is a God of integrity, and he hates those who don't tell the truth. Even those little white lies are untruth. God says, thirdly, I hate hands that shed innocent blood. I hate those who are so evil in their heart that they would, that they would usurp my sovereign, or try to, they never do, usurp, try to usurp, usurp my sovereign and take the life of another person. I hate a heart that devises wicked plans. That person who in their heart is trying to get back at someone, trying to hurt someone. I hate feet that run to evil, people that just can't stay away from doing evil things. I hate, God says, a false witness who breathes out lies. Someone who will actually get on a witness stand, whether it's in a courtroom or whether it's in a group of friends, and tell an untruth about another person to bring that person down. God says, we don't do that here. 
And God says, here's what I hate. I hate the one who sows discord among brothers, who's always trying to stir something up, who's always trying to cause an irritation in someone's life, who's always trying to bring other people down, who's always trying to look at the critical side of things. I, don't, I hate that person. Seven things. The Lord hates evil and he hates injustice. And because he does, when we live in awe and respect and honor of him, we should too. Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. When we fear the Lord, we hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. How would the world change if we used all the emotion, all the emotion that comes to our heart when we read the newspaper about the opposing political party or we watch the news about the opposing political party and we get all worked up and we get all fired up, how much more good could we do if we would take that energy and really live a life that spoke against and hated evil? That's what God calls us to do. When we live in fear, awe, reverence, respect, and love for him, we hate what he hates. Number four. We live in fear of the Lord because he knows us intimately. Now, you and I can fool a lot of people, right? You agree with that? You don't know what I'm thinking. I don't know what you're thinking. And, and we can have all these thoughts inside, but on the outside, we can paint the picture that all is well, and we're, we're, the, we're the cool guy, or we're the cool girl, and, 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 and we can just paint this, this, this persona on the outside that makes everyone else think we are who we want everyone else to think we are. But God knows the heart. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows what I'm feeling. He knows my motives. He knows my actions. Check this out, Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. What two characteristics is this speaking of? Speaking of God's omnipotence. He is all-powerful. Speaking of God's omnipresence. He is everywhere at the same time in his full being. And speaking of God's omniscience. He is all-knowing. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. There is no person that can hide from God. Chapter 15, verse 11. Sheol and uh, Abandon, that's, that's two names for the, the depths or hell, lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the child, children of men. Now, when you read the word heart in Scripture, remember, it is not this pump beating and muscle beating, the, uh, pumping the blood through your body. It is uh, a, a metaphor for your thinking, your emotions, and your will. God knows it all. He, our hearts are white. We can hide our hearts from other people, but our hearts are wide open 
in front of him. Chapter 16 uh, and, and chapter 21, check this out. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. Isn't that true? Speaks of our motives. We can rationalize and justify our motives. But the Lord, he weighs the spirit. He truly evaluates it. And a corresponding uh, passage in 21, every way of man is right in his own eyes. That doesn't speak of motives now. That speaks of actions. And again, we can, we can rationalize and we can justify any action we take. In our own eyes. But the Lord weighs the heart. He knows what we're thinking. He knows our emotions. He knows our actions. God is intimately acquainted with all of our ways. That's why we fear him. Awe and respect and honor and reverence because he knows everything about us. Number five, we live in awe and respect to the Lord because he is intimately at work in our lives. I'm going to go through these quickly. Here's the first one. The Lord provides safety and protection. Proverbs 18:10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Every every city in the ancient world had a tower in the middle, and that tower is where they kept uh, all their um, all their weapons, and they would keep the weapons there. And when the enemy came, they would run to the tower and they would get their weapons. If the enemy started breaching the wall, that was the place of safety. You ran to the tower and you would get into the tower. There you were safe. Well, Solomon says, you see that big tower over there, people in Jerusalem, that we run to? The name of the Lord, the person of the Lord. He is our strong tower. The righteous, we run into him. And that's where we're safe. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 25, 26. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your what? Your confidence. God is always our confidence, and he will keep your foot from being caught. You don't have to be afraid as a believer. How many times in Scripture do we hear those words, don't fear, God is with you. Don't fear, God's on your side. Don't be afraid, God's going to protect you. Solomon says the same thing. He's our confidence when we fear him, when we live in awe and reverence and respect of him. Secondly, the Lord is intimately involved in our life. He purifies our hearts. Proverbs 17, uh, 3. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold. The Lord tests the hearts. Just like you put silver and gold in a fire to, to, to refine it, so God takes us through some fire sometime, doesn't he? To refine our hearts, to make our hearts the hearts he wants us to have in order to do the things he wants us to do. Here's the next one. God delights in our prayers. He wants us to communicate with him. Proverbs 15, 8. The sacrifices of the wicked are abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. Proverbs 15, 29. The Lord is far from the wicked. He hears the prayer of the righteous. Aren't you glad God hears our prayers? He always answers them, doesn't he? Sometimes the answer is, yeah. Sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes the answer is what? 
wait. Not the timing. Still might be no, it still might be yes, but you got to wait. But God always answers our prayer. And here's one that we don't like that much. The Lord disciplines us. My son, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. If we saw a little kid playing out on uh, Route 19 and we saw the parents on the side of the road just talking and chatting and ignoring their child, what would we think of the parents? Abusive, right? We would expect a parent, a loving parent, to get that child out of the road, bring them in, and discipline them, corral them, instruct them, give whatever they needed to give them to let them know that playing in a road is a dangerous thing. You don't do that. We love you too much to let you play in the road, and so God does that for us. He loves us too much to let us play in sin. The Lord reproves him whom he loves. One more under this number five. The Lord provides his word. Look at Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Solomon writes, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, treasure my commandments. What does that mean? You've got to be reading God's word. My child, my daughter, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your hearts to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it, uh, for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come understanding and knowledge. Solomon is saying, seek it. Go after it. Read God's word. Read God's word like you were searching for a hidden treasure. It's all there. Read God's word like you are mining for gold. Study it. Reflect on it. Observe it. Check it out. Apply it to your life. And here's the cool thing. It's cyclical. Solomon says, the fear of the Lord produces knowledge, right? Wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's where we start. But then, when you read God's word, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Look at the cycle that goes on there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, but then when you continue to seek God through his word, he provides more fear of the Lord. We start by honoring God, loving him for what he's done for us. We read his word, and then we learn how much more he loves us, how he's at work in our life. That produces more awe and respect for him, and that awe and respect drives us back to his word to find more hidden treasure, to learn more about this love, this great God who loves us so much he sent his son. And when we do that, it just enhances our love and respect for him. That's, that's the process of spiritual growth. Pure and simple. Having an awe and respect for God because of what he's done for us, going to his word and learning what he has for us, and that it just enhances our fear that drives us back to his word. One more thing. Fear the Lord 
We fear the Lord because he can be trusted. God can be trusted. When we trust in other people, we are always going to be disappointed. All right? If you, as a married couple, if you are putting your faith in your husband or your wife, they're great. I promise you, they're great. But you're going to be disappointed. You, you, you cannot find in another person what you can only find in God. When you put your trust in a, in a supervisor or a boss, you're going to be disappointed. People will always disappoint you. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare. If, you're, if, if you take your fear that you should have for God, your awe and respect and reverence, and you put that on a man, a woman, it's, it lays a snare. You're always going to be disappointed. How many people are not in church today because of someone who is in church today? How many people do you talk to who say, I don't go to church anymore because I went and I got really hurt? It wasn't God who hurt you. It was a person. When you put your fear of man, it lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is what? Safe. He's our confidence. When we trust in ourselves, we're always going to be self-deceived. Proverbs 28, 26, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. A fool in the Proverbs, and we'll look at this as we move forward. A fool is one who lacks understanding, who, who refuses correction, who's unteachable, who's arrogant, who's contentious. A fool in the Proverbs is a person who wastes his or her life. When you trust in your own mind, when you trust in your own thinking, when you can rationalize anything, when you can justify anything, when you're always right, when you have to be right, when you trust in your mind, you're a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. And so Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, what? Acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Trust in Him alone, not in your own understanding. Trust in your own understanding, you're a fool. God will make your path straight. This book was written for us to grasp, for us to know, and for us to teach it to our children if we're parents, our grandchildren if we're grandparents, our students if we're a teacher, our mentees if we're a mentor. That's why we have to master it. That's why we're encouraging you to, to read it Every day, every chapter a day. And let these truths sink into your mind. In the next service, about this time, message is going to be shorter. And 20 minutes to go in the service, we're going to have 
all the high school seniors graduating from all the different campuses that go to the church. About 100 people with their parents are going to come walk through that door and they're going to walk up here on the stage. We're going to have a commissioning for them. And um, I want to remind you, uh, having four who have graduated from high school and three that are married, one going to be a senior in college next year, it's hard to believe, but time goes pretty fast, doesn't it? Some of you have seen this before, but if you just had a baby, you got, uh, you got 936 weeks to instill in them the truths of God's Word. Every M&M here represents a week. You got a full jar. Don't miss a day. Then your kid goes to kindergarten, right? Remember sending your kid off to kindergarten? Some of you are going to do that next year. When you do that, you still have 676 weeks before your child graduates from high school. 676 weeks. Those M&Ms go pretty fast, don't they? Then your kid goes to junior high. Junior high. You have 312 weeks before they graduate. Now, if you have a kid in junior high, you may be thinking, oh, my goodness, that is a long time. (laughs) It goes pretty fast, doesn't it? Then they become a freshman in high school. When they become a freshman in high school, I got to tell you, man, that four years just flies by. But when they're a freshman, you still have 208 weeks to instill in them the truths that you want them to have to go, to go run with this life that God's given them. And then, if you're like these uh, parents who are going to be walking here in a little bit, and you're down to, you're down to a couple M&Ms. It's about over. And you're going to pack your car up, and there won't be one cubic inch of space left. <laughs> and you're going to take them to some college, and you're going to help them unpack their car. And you're going to gather around and pray with them. And you're going to drive off. And those M&Ms are gone. The urgency. Parents. The urgency for us to be serious about teaching our kids. That's what Solomon's telling us. Don't let the M&Ms go. Don't let the weeks pass by. Have a plan. Be growing yourself. You can't impart what you don't possess. Be growing. Be in the Word so you have something to share and have a plan, have a spiritual strategy to share with your children the truths of God's Word so that one day when you drop them off, you'll be able to know God, they're in your hands, and they are equipped. They are equipped.
to meet any situation that comes their way. Job well done. Kirk's going to come, <clears throat> come out and meet us in the last song. And uh, we're going to sing together, but as Kirk's coming out, just bow with me. Let's pray together. Father, Father, uh, there has to be an urgency in our lives as believers. We cannot be those who go along to get along, regardless of our personality, laid back or not, in our heart, there has to be an urgency to live before you with a sense of awe, a sense of reverence, a sense of respect, a desire to please you in everything we do. And Father, for those of us who are parents, give us, Lord, the urgency not only to to grasp those things in our hearts and our minds and live them out before our kids, but to teach them well with our lips and with our lives. Help us to realize, Lord, the fleeting characteristic of time and help us to not waste a moment of this privilege you've given us to parent and lead and teach our children drive that deep in our heart, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.